Dennis, last week we talked about um, the, well, history and the uh, all the wonderful things that uh, Panox ginseng or Korean ginseng mm. can do. Mm. And uh, you talked about some of those things. Now you want to talk a little bit more about ginseng today or perhaps its qualities. Yeah, look, I'd like to do that, Jane. I'd like to introduce this further discussion by talking about another great example of the way in which herbs, particularly ginseng, can definitely affect the whole process of ageing for the benefit. This is Health Naturally on 2NURFM. And Dennis Stewart, we talked about ginseng and you talked about some of the the, uh, the wonderful um, things, benefits that mm. people have met. Uh, and you I want to talk a bit further that. about that. I want to elaborate on that, Jane, because... I think there's always a tendency, particularly on the part of the sceptics, to think that we overstayed our case and a lot of what we're saying about can't be replicated or justified. I'd respond to that by saying that herbs such as ginseng go go back a long, long, long way in history and you have to be an an entire sceptic to discard the tradition, the knowledge, the record of health benefits associated with such herbs as ginseng and other remedies. Uh, And I was thinking about this coming to the station today. A lot of the problem is this, that we have uh, lost the philosophy, the concept, that we can, in fact, do things to oppose the whole physiology of ageing. Now, this will ruffle the feathers of some of the straight medical scientists out there who will say, oh, no, it's all genetics and it's all public health and it's all modern medicine. Maybe so. But I strongly believe from my reading, my study and my prescribing, my helping people over many, many years, that there's a lot of truth in the idea that what we do with our bodies, what we take and drawing on some of these anti-aging remedies, I have no problem in using that term, herbs such as ginseng have justified serious consideration as being supplements which should be considered particularly by those of us who are ageing as benefits to resist some of the, what you call it, the downside of ageing and to look at the way in which ginseng has demonstrated an ability to do this. And last week I spoke about a client, a patient and a good friend of mine who reversed his whole being, I would say. Now, that's a big call, but I was stunned by the improvement in his health, his profile, his weight gain, the complexion of his skin and, more importantly by his vitality. Now, we have lost the concept of vitality in Western medicine, and yet any doctor, any therapist would say a large percentage of people that present to them present with symptoms that indicate a lack of vitality, and all the investigative techniques of modern medicine frequently come up with nothing as far as explaining why people have lost this vitality factor. Ancient medicine took a lot of note of it, and believe that one could promote vitality by using anti-aging remedies, or you might like to call them tonic remedies. I spoke of one case, but I was thinking about the most outstanding case that I've ever seen. I was in Perth many years ago now, and I was conducting a series of lectures for Blackmores. I remember it because it was exceedingly hot. Uh, I'm not a great fan of Perth, but maybe because I've been there a few times when it is very hot. But I remember the, 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 the conclusion of the seminars, I was taken out to dinner 
by a, a, a medical colleague, a doctor who had attended all the lectures that I gave, and he brought along a, another one of his colleagues, an Indian doctor, two great men we had a lot in common, but the, the Chinese doctor brought along his father. And as the night went on, uh, as doctors tend to do, uh, medicine was the topic, and I was bored. I'd been talking about natural medicine all day, and I found that I had a great deal in common and interest in this elderly Chinese gentleman that was sitting beside me. And he took a bit of interest in me too because he knew that I was into herbs, so to speak. Now, it was late in the night and perhaps we'd had a little bit to drink. We were uh, a little bit effervescent, put it that way, and very friendly. And this gentleman uh, was remarkable. His skin was perfect. He had all of his hair, jet black hair, and his conversation was so well-formed, intelligent discussion, a very learned man. And I very boldly at the end of the night said to him, just before we parted, how old are you? And uh, he said, oh, you guess, you guess. And I looked at the man, I thought, oh, 74, 75. He threw his head back and nearly fell off the chair. He was 87 years of age. Mm. And I thought, there's something to learn here. So I said to him, I said, okay, what's your secret? And I remember his words to this day, Jane. He said, I scour the world for the best ginseng. Now, what that meant was he was a very wealthy uh, Chinese Malaysian who, by the way, was to fly back to Malaysia as the guest of Dr. Mahatia for in independence celebrations the day after. But he said that once a year he would go to the remote part of China where ginseng still grew naturally and he would take a team with him and they'd seek out the best root of ginseng that they could get. And he would bring that back to Malaysia and live on that for the whole year. And he said that was the reason for his well-being, gathering, using ginseng. Now, of course, the older the ginseng plant is, the more potent it is. But we in the West use cultivated ginseng, which is a pretty good product. My point is, this was a case that stunned me, but yet recently I saw it replicated in a friend and patient of mine who also had taken ginseng as an elderly person and reversed his health. Health naturally on to NURFM. The phones are running hot, Dennis. Uh, first of all, we we did have Bruce with a quirky observation to <laughs> say that we might not age quite so quickly if we didn't have a birthday every year. Yeah, yeah. My, my response to Bruce is that we could forget about birthdays if we're feeling well. Uh-huh. Good one, Dennis. And Chad has rung in from Tomago. And Chad, we spoke to you a little while ago. Yeah, g'day, Dennis. Hello, um, Chad. G'day, mate. Um, I rang a couple of weeks ago, Dennis, yeah. um, about this protandum that my um, good chiropractor put yeah. me on to. Um, did, you, did you email me? I did email yeah, you and, with and, the constituents, yeah. yeah. And, did, and did you receive my reply? Um, I probably... Haven't had okay. time, or okay. but yeah, I've, I've just got the flyer off him because okay. I was yep. there yep. and saw him the other day, and yep. um, the properties, are, you know, like the milk thistle. Yep. In fact, I looked at the information on the product that you uh, referred to a couple of weeks ago, Protandum, yep. yeah. and in my email, I said the herbs that were in the preparation were yep. all well known, yep. uh, useful, and valuable herbs, particularly herbs like St Mary's thistle. As yep. I, as I said before. I'm not familiar with the product as such, and yeah. that's why I couldn't on the moment uh, give you an opinion. But when you sent me the information, 
yeah. I, I sat beside the computer with my daughter, who's much more fluent in computer use than I am, and, <laughs> and we sent a, a reply to you saying, look, uh, I've looked at the, the product. The herbs in it are well-known, yeah. antioxidants and uh, health-protective remedies, particularly St Mary's Thistle. Yeah. So my opinion of it is it sustains its reputation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, like I said, um, when I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago, it's, yeah. um, it has helped me. On on another note, too, my yeah. mum put me onto a thing called magnesium. Yes. For helping um, sleep at, at night as, yes. as well. And yes. um, I tried some of that last night and actually worked pretty well, too. So. Well, if, if, uh, well, many listeners would know out there that in, in, in the last decade at least, magnesium has come into its own. Mm. Uh, what I mean, nocturnal cramps and yeah. sometimes even um, insomnia yeah. uh, can be helped yeah. by uh, taking uh, magnesium. Uh, I work around dosages of 200 milligram. It, yeah. do- it doesn't work for every case, but I tell you what, it, uh, it works for many people and I'm pleased and, and not surprised, but pleased to see uh, many of the GPs recommending yeah. it as yeah. a preparation to use. So I'm, yeah. a f- I'm a fan of magnesium, but, yeah. like, but like a lot of natural supplements, Chad, uh, they're not always effective in all people, but by no. gee, many of them are effective in many people. Yeah, no, I've had good success with my celebratinum and now the magnesium powder. That's um, good. You're yeah. on a winner. You're doing yeah. well. You're doing Excellent. well. Excellent. That's great news, Chad. Keep up the good work. Wayne has rung in from Rutherford. Uh, Wayne, um, you've got a question for Dennis, I believe, yeah. about pins and needles. Yes, I have. How are you going, Dennis? Oh, very well, um, Wayne. Um, yeah, I've, I've been putting up with this condition for about oh. four years now. Yes. Um, and I did seek advice from my GP at one stage and he yes. suggested that I go and see a, a, a podiatrist that looks after your feet. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I don't know, but anyway, I, I didn't do that because I really don't want to be on medication as such, you know okay. what I mean? Well, my, let, me just, let, let, me, let me just say, if your GP recommended you to see a podiatrist, podiatrists work on the feet. They, do, generally speaking, don't prescribe medication. Yep. Um, yep. I'm a bit of a fan of podiatrists. I see my podiatrist back on the Central Coast at least once every two months. We've been seeing the same gentleman for about 30-odd years. Um, yep. I, I give them a lot of credit uh, okay. for, for keeping my feet comfortable, and I, yeah. I certainly would reinforce what your GP has said, and I wouldn't be too um, concerned about the possibility of of medication or things like that. Podiatrists tend to work more along structural lines. Um, okay. And they can script stuff, but my podiatrist has never in all the time that I've been seeing him, nor my wife been seeing him, have has prescribed anything. Um, yep. But I'd follow that up first, firstly, but you've had this condition for about four years. Um, yeah. Have, have, you, have you had any investigation from uh, you know, your spine, your spinal column, your, your back? No. No, okay. I haven't. Okay. I'm, look, I'm just coming up to 60 years old, I suppose. Some people would call me a bit yeah. stubborn. Um, it's it's really strange because I really only experience the pins and needles um, when I sit down okay. uh, or, or when I lay down at yeah. night in bed, okay. which is a real pain. But while I'm on my feet, it's fine. But my feet are always very tender okay. as well. Okay. You know, but, Wayne, are you a diabetic? Yeah. No, I'm not. Okay. Okay. Look, again there, it seems to me that you know, um, as a structural thing, and this is what I'd pursue with your good GP, uh, discuss the possibility that there might be 
uh, a little bit of degenerative activity uh, yep. in your spinal column. There might be okay. some nerve impingement, to use lay language, um, occurring there that could be impacting and causing this. It seems to me to be uh, definitely a neurological condition. And, yeah. and it seems that positional factors have a bit of a bearing on the experience of it, which, yeah. to my mind, always implies that there is something, um, if you like, wedging or something that's being trapped or um, yeah. that, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd follow it up with your GP along the lines of, look, do you think I should get a scan um, to see what's going on and perhaps if something is found, a referral to an orthopaedic bloke? Yeah, it kind of... Um always confused me a little bit, not that I'm self-diagnostic yes, or anything yes, like yes. that, but um, it seems strange that it seems really bad when I go to bed yes. or if I'm sitting on the lounge or something, but yes. I can be working out in the shed or something yes. hours on end and there's there's nothing. Well, you know that's, what that, I mean? that's why I say that there seems to be positional factors here okay. uh, that, yep. uh, that are implicated, and with positional factors, maybe that uh, explains why symptoms assert themselves as a result of blockage in nerve flow, etc. And I'm speaking at a very lay level here, but follow it up with your GP and suggest some investigation of your vertebra. Health naturally on to a new RFM. And we are taking your calls. Um, and Pauline has rung in from Maitland. Hello, Pauline. You'd Hello, like... how are you, Jane? You've got is a question Jane, about... Yeah, that's right. And Dennis, of course, is here. Yeah. And you want to ask him about sugar levels. Yeah, lowering sugar levels. What can you take to lower sugar levels? Okay. Uh, Pauline, have you been diagnosed with diabetes? No, no, no. We just said you're on the border. Oh, okay. So, well, that's a good time to start. Um, yes. Has your doctor given you any dietary advice or recommended you to no, see a dietitian? No, no, so just watch your sugar. Watch your, I don't have okay, sugar. Okay. Mm. Well, what you basically, and I'll, I'll try and keep it simple, uh, yeah. sh- sugar is just another way of talking about carbohydrates, yeah. and, and carbohydrates are our worst enemy. I have, yeah. I, and I have to be a bit cautious there because that's going a bit over the top. But I read a book years ago written by a British doctor who referred to our our society today being based on carbohydrate addiction. And mm-hmm. what, what he was basically saying is that we feed ourselves too much with things like yeah. bread, with breads, bread, uh, pastas. Uh, yeah. uh, sugary drinks, particularly fruit juices that have got yeah. sugar in them. It's a matter yeah. of being aware that they are foods that convert, if you like, into, into blood sugar and cause our levels yeah. to go up. So the first yeah. thing to do, and I'll keep it simple, is move away from carbs, yeah. move, move in the direction of protein, more protein, more fish, more, more fish, more chicken, more and meat, nice. those sorts nice. of food. Move towards yeah. protein. Move away from carbohydrates. Increase your vegetable intake, but don't go over the top with too much fruit. Mm. Fruit contains yeah. blood sugar, and a couple of pieces of fruit a day is good. I'm mm. very reserved about fruit juices because they have very concentrated levels of sugar in them. So yeah. move away from carbs. Accelerate your intake of good quality protein. Emphasize, yeah. emphasize the role of vegetables, 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 vegetables. Mm. And yeah. perhaps, perhaps one or two days a week, consider consider going into a radical reduction overall of the food you eat. There is what's, yeah. called, there's what's called a 5-2 diet. Yes, yeah, so where you fast for a couple That's of days. That's correct. A couple of days. Yeah. I just say to yeah. patients, look, on the couple of days, I do mine on Tuesday and Thursday. 
And yeah. I say to patients on those days, cut the amount of food you eat by about yeah. oh, two-thirds and make yeah. sure that the food you eat on those days is predominantly protein. Yeah. Now, people yeah. laugh at that, but yet it is the, one of the best proven ways of losing yeah. weight. And weight loss, interestingly, frequently converts into lower blood sugar levels. So yeah. move, move towards protein, cut back on carbs, move to protein, more vegetables, less, yeah. less sweet uh, sugary drinks, um, and also make sure that you're doing enough exercise. Do your 5-2, and I'll give you a little hint. Uh, what's called bitter melon. Write that down. Bitter melon, not bitter lemon. Bitter melon, which is an Asian vegetable, now becoming increasingly popular in, in supermarkets and, and, and vegetable outlets. Bitter melon is renowned all around the world as an agent to consider, uh, to take, to improve reduction in your blood sugar levels. Now, if you don't like the vegetable, you can purchase it, as you would expect in a Western society. You can purchase it in a capsule, or you can purchase it in a powder. I, I recommend the taking of bitter melon powder in a dose of, say, 5 grams, a heap teaspoonful. And if you do those things, tell your doctor what you're doing, you'll start to see your blood sugar level coming down, I would think. Oh, there's a, a good regime for you, Pauline. And on Health Naturally, we're moving to Cardiff and Sue has rung in. Sue, your question's about rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, I have it, what they call, I'm a complicated patient. I have a history of breast cancer, rheumatoid yeah. arthritis, yes. and I also have got Gillian Barre. Oh, dear, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just wondering whether there's something in the health food line I can take. Okay, look, Sue, so, so you are probably on uh, quite a considerable routine of medications from your doctor and specialist, so yeah. any, anything you take uh, needs to be run past your doctor or your health yeah. therapist. I would think, I would think that a good starting base for you would be to start off taking a significant dosage of fish oil per day. Yeah. Now, f fish oil is not that effective for osteoarthritis, but the literature yeah. indicates a mild benefit as far as reduction of symptoms is concerned for rheumatoid arthritis. The dose in the literature is from six to nine grams of fish oil yeah. per day. You purchase it in capsule form. It's very, very cheap or inexpensive. I would yeah. see that. I would see that as a useful starting base for you to discuss with your doctor and to see if there's anything that is in your routine that would clash with that, but I doubt it. Excellent. So hope that bears good results for you, Sue. On Health Naturally today, we've been talking about uh, <laughs> the fountain of life, I suppose, keeping yes, uh, young. Hey, dinners. that's good phraseology, Jane. I'm very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> <laughs> and ginseng is one way that yeah, has been yeah, used yeah. in the world's medicines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not the only herb that no, will do it's that. Not, it's not. Every, uh, every culture yeah. has uh, every culture has remedies that are similar to ginseng and have been used by that traditional society for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. I'm always impressed that we sceptics uh, have about 200 years of history behind us. A lot of the things we're talking about now go back thousands of years in traditional culture and are documented in traditional literature. I get annoyed 
about the arrogance of the Western mind, the emphasis on the idea that we have all the answers and that in the Western medical approach is the solution. I don't dispute the benefits of the Western medical approach. It's great. I use it. I depend on it. But we shouldn't be too sceptical when we realise that many cultures have remedies that they revere as being agents that are useful to resist the physiology of ageing as evidenced in the way in which many people from these cultures live long lives, healthy lives and vital lives. Now, we've been looking at ginseng, but there are other remedies. But before we uh, talk about too many of them, there was a very interesting uh, incident, not an incident, but there was a very, very well-known Chinese herbalist who was called Professor Li Chung Yun. And he, in 1933, died, and he died at an age that we would consider to be absolutely biblical. I won't say how old he was, but he lived a very, very, very long life, and that's recorded in some of the annals of of, uh, Chinese medicine. Ginseng was a herb that he used, but ah, he claimed, he claimed, and this will lead into another culture that uses this herb, he claimed that the herb called Fu Ti Yung, which, if you like, in Latin terminology, means the herb Hydrocotyl Asiatica, which in our language today, in our system, we refer to as Gotchicola. Now, Gotchicola or Hydrocotyl Asiatica is revered just as much in India as an anti-aging remedy as ginseng was in China, albeit Chinese herbalists and proponents of anti-aging remedies saw the two herbs, ginseng and Hydrocotyl Asiatica or Gotchicola, frequently coming together as a great combination. So if we look at India for a moment, here's another culture which says, yes, there are herbs in our culture that go back to the writing of the Vedas. Now, listeners will say, well, what are the Vedas? We say Vedas, but it's really Vedas. Ayurveda is the practice of medicine as incorporated in the Vedas. Now, the Vedas go back to the Indus Valley Civilization two to 3,000 years before, before Christ, a very old civilization, but a civilization, interestingly, that was very well advanced. They had an urban, um, urban government, a sewerage system, a water supply system, and a very, very learned uh, community, very much like the Greeks, only, if you like, uh, earlier than the Greeks. And they uh, used a lot of herbs, and in that culture, hydrocotyl asiatica would have been one of the remedies that would have been put forward. Ah, but the one that's emerged in recent times is a herb that in India, in Sanskrit, it goes under the name of Brahmi, B-R-A-H-M-I, Brahmi. Now, people say, oh, what does that mean? Brahmi, converted to English, if you like, means of the gods. In other words, Brahmi herbs were considered to have almost divine characteristics and were used in the Ayurvedic civilization as agents for meditation and contemplation, uh, of touching, if you like, uh, the spiritual side of one's existence. Brahmi herbs have come into popularity even at the local level today inasmuch as the Brahmi remedy, uh, known as Bacopa Moniera, Bacopa Moniera, uh, is now being used, uh, certainly in more than clinical trials, as an agent that has been shown to assist uh, decline in memory, to assist in some of the uh, diseases that we in the West experience also, the onset of dementia, 
cognitive deficits. This is now being recognized as something that exists in the Brahmi herb, which is, if you like, the anti-aging remedy from India, in many ways equivalent to the benefits of ginseng. And, yes, so we'll be right, won't we, the fountain of youth? <laughs> youth We're getting there, Jane. Spring We're, eternal. <laughs> the fountain's starting to spring. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart, and we are taking your calls. Uh, Brian, you've been listening. You've rung in from Swansea, and you're listening to our conversation, and Dennis has been talking about gotcha cola. You've got a question about that. Yeah, hi, Dennis. Hello, um, Brian. Funny you should be talking about it, because I've just had two ginseng tablets. But um, what, what I'm ringing, so I have really bad arthritic pain. Yes, yes. So I've been growing gotcha cola for some time. Yes. And uh, I originally read, you know, two leaves a day is supposed to help. Uh, I looked on the net, tried to find a good, a good amount to have and how to have it. Yes. Now, I've got a bundle of it growing. What I want to know is, What's the best way to have it, to, to blend it up in, in water? Or... Okay. What, what, you, what you've mentioned there is, is, is good. Gotcha Cola has in, in recent years, probably over the last decade, made somewhat of a reputation as being useful for the management of some levels of, of arthritic conditions. And um, some people have been growing the herb, which is fairly readily available from some of our nurseries, and taking it in its crude form, um, my thinking here is that any herb that you use, it's wiser to take it in its dried form because in its in its fresh form, a herb can contain uh, substances that can be somewhat toxic. So where a herb has been used traditionally, it has usually been used as a, as a dried herb and then processed either with water or turned into an extract with ethanol. If you're if you have uh, the herb got your cola and then you have it in a dried form, the first thing I would suggest you do is pulverise it. Uh, if, uh, if you're a small manufacturer, you'd use what's called a, a hammer mill or you can use a coffee grinder if you can find an old, old one lying around somewhere. But the idea is to reduce the herb uh, to a very, very small amount that is measurable. Now, the reason I say measurable, because even a herb such as got your cola would have a dosage factor contained in literature such as the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. And usually the dosage would be stated as so many grams taken per day. Now, for instance, uh, five grams is roughly a teaspoonful. So what I would be doing, if you've got the herb reduced to a pulverised, semi-powdered state, that makes it easier to handle and to use it in a level that is reliable other words, if you take it in big chunks, you'd have to be taking a large amount uh, to equate with the concentrated amount that you would get once you've powdered it. So the first thing to do is get it, uh, powder it, up, make sure it's completely dried, and then um, if you contact my rooms, I can give you the exact dosage on it. Um, then what you would do is make sure, if you're using it as an infusion, what you would do is say take, such and such an amount, say in a teaspoon, put it in a coffee cup, pour on boiling water, put a little bit of honey with it, and take it, if you like, as a herbal tea. That is a way of using it in a much more reliable and I would say a much safer way than just taking it as a crude herb and, and eating it green. Do it that way, Brian. Yeah, uh, thanks. Now, I, I did read about um, the toxicity factor. So 
if I um, cut it, dry it in a brown paper bag yes. for, what, two weeks or so? I think, it's, knowing the nature of the, of, the, of the leaf, I would suggest that you uh, leave it a bit uh, longer than that. And, and I, I wouldn't put it in a, in a paper bag because that can create moisture, particularly with green herbs. They can extend it a bit mouldy. All you have to do is just tie it up somewhere in a nice, airy uh, spot um, obviously, that's not moist, and let the, let the uh, the atmosphere do it. <laughs> right. Okay. It, it, yeah. And, and is outside okay, Dennis? Yeah. Is look, if, like if, a... if if in the old days herbs were always uh, dried, uh, even in the kitchen. Um, if yeah. if you've uh, got a warm kitchen, hang it up um, somewhere in the kitchen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All, all right. Uh, I might even uh, have a look on your website and email you. Any questions, but that's a, that's a big help. Okay, Brian, thank you. Excellent, of course, and good luck with that, Brian. And, uh, yes, uh, through to a new RFM's <laughs> website, you can always get in touch with Dennis. Well, we're getting towards the end of the program, but Jennifer has rung in from Ellamore Vale, and uh, you've got some foot problems, Jennifer. Yes, I've got um, bilateral Charcot neuropathy, mm. and they put me on calcium pills. Mm. And I'm just wondering whether I should take one a day or two a day. First thing, Jennifer, who put you on calcium? Um, the doctors, my doctors. Okay. Uh, with neuropathy, it, it tends to be a neurological condition and it's frequently associated with things like, are you a diabetic or anything like that? Yes, type 2. Okay. okay. Look, yeah. I have spoke some time ago about um, neuropathy uh, being potentially potentially capable of being helped uh, in diabetic conditions uh, by the taking, the taking, the regular taking of evening primrose oil. Now, I know that's a big call, but I have literature to support it. It is in two texts. If you were to Google um, neuropathy, diabetic neuropathy, uh, and Google it in the context of evening primrose oil, you would see that there's some confident, put it that way, some confident uh, information they're suggesting a potential benefit. The point being, however, uh, if you were to go down that pathway, you would need to use the primrose oil in the in the stipulated dosages and work with it a very long period of time. This is not yeah. a spontaneous remedy, but the good thing about primrose oil is it has multiple benefits and it's and it's very inexpensive. So, off the top of my head, or not off the top of my head, but knowing something about um, diabetic complications and even though this is not explicitly that i would see that as being something worthwhile to consider discuss it discuss it with your your doctor um i'm not familiar with the prescribing of calcium for this condition um but if your doctor's prescribed it that has to be honored yeah 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 i always take blackmores i've never taken any other brand they're a good brand yes they are good australian company Yes, so I take it with calcium, magnesium, and D3. Well, that's a good combination, but yeah. th- think about what I've said. With evening, yeah. pr- are you are you fluent on the computer? No. Okay. Well, um, get one of the grandkids or one of your kids to punch in oil of evening primrose with diabetic yeah. neuropathy. Okay. Oh, plenty to learn about that, and all the very best with that, Jennifer. 
Dennis, uh, on health naturally in our last, uh, well, few minutes, uh, why don't we think about, we've been talking about tonics or elixirs and uh, anti-aging effects, and we've been talking about Eastern herbs. What about Western herbs? Are there any herbs in the Western tradition? Jane, I believe there is, and I believe that what we have mentioned on this program over many years with reference uh, to the herb ginkgo biloba probably is the best representative of a herb that has emerged in the West largely as a result of post-Second World War uh, German investigation of this herb. And from Gotchukola we have uh, isolated its chemistry we understand where some of the benefits are associated or come, are come from. And in the West today, uh, ginkgo is put forward quite confidently, particularly on, in continental countries and particularly in Germany, as a remedy that is potentially very useful for addressing some of the sinister symptoms of ageing, uh, memory loss, uh, cognitive activity generally, uh, early stages of dementia, uh, mood swings, uh, all these are well documented, by the way, in the literature of the of the great German medical practitioner and and herbalist, the the, the late Dr. Rudolf Weiss, whom, I, whom I've quoted frequently on this. He has a monograph on ginkgo biloba in his uh, English translation of his book Herbal Medicine, which I've lectured from the bulk of my life, and that will reiterate everything that I have said. So again, for the cynics, here's a medically trained person from the continent, admittedly, where medicine is a little bit different, arguably, than what it is in Anglo societies. Um, But here is one coming to the use of ginkgo, not just from a traditional perspective, seeing its role in particularly Asian societies again, but seeing it in its post-Second World War investigation being capable of sustaining the benefits that it has been seen to have when persevered with. Now, finally, I would emphasise this. This herb, ginkgo biloba, can sustain the cynicism that's levelled at it. I have seen the benefits of it in prescribing it over 40 years. I gave the first lectures on it in Balgala at a Blackmores conference many, many years ago. The thing about the ginkgo, however, to get the benefits that, are, in my opinion, are definitely there, one has to see it as something to be taken ongoingly, indefinitely, as the Chinese ginseng has been taken ongoing and indefinitely. When that is co- when that is acceded to, and people do that, I believe the ginkgo biloba can sustain the benefit of being called an anti-aging remedy. Now, is ginkgo a Western tree, a European okay. tree, or where does it come from? Ah, g- 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 I could talk about this all day. Uh, <laughs> I have ginkgo wherever I live, <laughs> but ginkgo arguably is an Asian remedy, but um, there's a whole history about how it was found and survived in a very remote part of Tibet. I know that sounds very esoteric, but it's a, it's a, a tree from a different evolutionary era. Ah. And um, But you go to places like Japan, it's revered and it's bandaged. The trunks of the tree are bandaged and now it's cultivated in Western countries. So we'd call it a Western anti-aging remedy, but like so many of the remedies... Many of them are steeped in a tradition that goes back a lot further than the West. And 
sounds like a very high tradition too. It is indeed. <laughs> oh, very well put, Jane. You're right on it. <laughs> well, that's anti-aging for today. In fact, it's yeah. health naturally for today. We've had a good time over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> we have. We like the idea of the fountain of youth and we'll look forward to more revelations yeah. and next week with health naturally after the midday news on 2 and you RFM.